You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick and Matty Rose on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour number three. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. The bottom of the hour, NHL and draft analyst for Sportsnet, Sammy Cos. Sam Cosentino will join us. Uh, we'll get to the story, I promise. Uh, an, a unique way to sweeten up a big fantasy football trade. And uh, our plays of the week. But yes. right now, he is uh, the voice of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Broadcast Hotline. We say good morning to Rick Ball. Hello, sir. How are you? George, Maddie, terrific. How are you guys? We're great. Thanks for jumping on. Does it warm your heart to see Sean Monahan doing well in Montreal? It does. Great guy. You know, derailed by injuries his last few years in Calgary and his first couple of Montreal, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's an easy guy to root for. So uh, you want you worry sometimes when a guy's been that beat up, uh, especially at a younger age. It's not like he's 38 years old and, you know, at the end of the line that uh, that maybe it's over. But, yeah, I'm happy for him. He's a like I said, he's an easy guy to cheer for. So, you know, I know Flames fans probably, you know, it's a little harder to take sometimes because you traded him away. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had to sweeten the pot to do it, but um, but I, I'm, I have nothing but good vibes for for Sean Monahan. Had to trade him to make room for Nazem Kadri, who has not been off to a great start. But did you see a step forward maybe in that Dallas game? Hundred percent. In fact, I think he's been good the last few games. He's certainly playing with a lot more energy than some of the games earlier in the season. Uh, Connor Zeri was a real boost on that line, providing mm-hmm. a, a kickstart in terms of uh, spirit and played terrific, and I think Kadri rode right along with that and was a part of the reason why that line played well. I think he's been uh, better than he was earlier in the year. So, um, you know, I like I like Kadri a lot. I think back a few years ago when the Flames tried to trade for him out of Toronto, and, of course, he vetoed that trade because he had the right in his contract to do that, but it wasn't as much that he didn't want to come to Calgary. He just didn't want to leave Toronto, and then they ultimately make a deal to a team that wasn't on his list, and he goes on to win a cup, but you know, I remember the first time I saw him play in Colorado after the deal from the Leafs to the Avalanche, and I thought, boy, that's exa- just watching him play with them, I thought that's exactly what Calgary at that time could use. Now, that was a few years ago, and he's a little older than that, but uh, I think there's still a lot of what made him a really terrific player with the Avalanche prior to that with the Maple Leafs in him. And uh, if he brings it like he did the other night, he'll be an asset for sure. But uh, it's been too inconsistent, definitely, uh, since he's been aflame, and uh, he's got to find a way to do that more nights than not. It's been tough finding someone that plays well with Nazem Kadri for extended amounts of time, but Connor Zeri seemed to do that in his debut. What about his skill set maybe stood out that worked so well with Kadri? We've seen it with Rizicka before. I wonder if there's any similarities that you might have seen. Yeah, I think that, you know it's, he's got terrific speed and he can go, he has a nose for the net, right? Like it's interesting because I only ever watched him play at the NHL level, like everybody else in preseason games, and he always looked good, but. Um, I, I just felt, and you know, maybe it's that just the, the jolt of uh, excitement playing your first National Hockey League regular season game that got him going. But I, I, I didn't realize the kind of speed that he had, at least uh, in terms of playing at this level. And for him to, you know, blow around a guy like Yodi Hockenpah like that and make that you know, get that great chance to get a second goal, and the way he played all night. I mean, the goal he scored was just a guy going to the net. It wasn't anything worthy of the highlight reel other than it was a guy's first goal, but it was all the other stuff he was doing the whole night, especially in the offensive zone that uh, was exciting to watch. And I think should have Flames fans excited about him as a prospect going forward, because, you know, he played at a pace that, uh, that they need, quite frankly, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they need more guys that can, that can, that can go with that kind of 
with that kind of speed and, and, and make things happen in the offensive zone because they haven't been scoring enough. So that was really encouraging, and it was a lot of fun and made for a great game, quite frankly, against a really good team, too. It wasn't like they were playing a, a cellar dweller. Right. Um, and the fact that he did it against the Dallas Stars, uh, a team that has legitimate Stanley Cup aspirations this year, even made it more impressive. Uh, that Zeri play, is that one of those instances, Rick, uh, personally, when you're driving home after the game going, man, I wish you really would have scored that goal? Yeah. Uh, well, because it would have been on every highlight reel in the league, right? Because that was that was an A-plus effort. So if it just got in, he did everything else perfectly, but uh, couldn't quite tuck it five hole on Ottinger. I think we'll see a few more of those, though. It doesn't That doesn't strike me as a as a one-off for Connor's area. I think that guy's got high-level skill and definitely National Hockey League speed. And um, it's going to be tough to set him back down, uh, mm-hmm. you know, unless there's some cap ramifications. I haven't, you know, I haven't thought too deeply about it, but, uh, you know, based on game one, he's got to stick around for a while, at least in the National Hockey League, because he's earned it. Uh, uh, definitely good problems uh, for the Calgary Flames. Uh, what did you make of Matt Coronado centering that fourth line? I, I kind of saw it as... Man, that's a tough assignment against a really good Dallas team. And we saw stretches there uh, where they were just getting caved in in their own zone. Um, I just thought, and it's not really a question, it's more of a statement that that was a very tough assignment for Matt Coronado in that yeah. game against the Stars. I agree. The coach agrees. You know, if you heard Ryan Huska's comments after the game, um, you know, he wasn't particularly complimentary with how that line played. And, you know, it's tough for a guy who's been a high-end scorer all of his career up until this point to be cast in a different role. Um, but based on circumstances, I guess they needed him with Dylan Dubé out of the lineup and, and Zary coming in and Rasichka hurt. You know, there's a lot going on there. So, you know, I, I, I like Sharon Govich centering that line, quite frankly. Um, but I think with Coronado, you've got a guy who's able to shoot the puck at his level. He's going to, at some point, I mean, this is very early in his career. So you're moving guys around and, um, you know, you got to earn your spots, but I think it's, he's going to wind up playing on the wing, uh, where he's more comfortable and with some other higher end talent, because that guy's got the capability, you know, I think long-term to put the puck in the net on a regular basis. Um, but just, you know, like a lot of guys in their first year of the national hockey league, there's a learning curve. So, um, yeah, but I, I agree with you. That that combination, I thought, in terms of forward lines for the Flames, had a bit of a tough night against Dallas. That's a fair comment for sure. What are you seeing from Dryden Hunt over the last little bit? You know, he's he's a hard worker and a you know a, a guy, a role player. You know, like I, you know, I, I I appreciate guys like that in the National Hockey League. Every team has them. You you, you know, and you got to do what you got to do to stick around. But uh, you know, is he a difference maker? Um, no, but he never has been. Doesn't mean you don't have a spot in the team. I remember I talked to um, you know, to a player a, a while ago who lasted like 900 games as basically a fourth line checker. <laughs> he goes, "You don't play 400, 900 games of the National Hockey League as a fourth line checker without paying attention to the small details." I think right that hunt and a lot of those guys who do that fall into that role. You, you know, you're probably uh, most of those guys were good players coming up at every level and probably really good junior hockey players. And then at some point you realize, Hey, wait a minute, it's not going to happen for me in terms of producing like I did, you know, in the Western hockey league or wherever you happen to play uh, on the way up the ladder. Uh, it won't work that way in the national hockey league. I got to figure out what role works so I can stick around and make the money and enjoy the lifestyle. And uh, guys who do wind up, you know, wind up sticking, even if they're, you know, not high, high end talent. So, but you know, no, no disrespect to Dryden hunt. Um, you know, I don't, is he going to change games? No, but is he a guy that you could have on your team playing in a role that uh, that will help for sure? And you know, I know they moved him up the lineup uh, throughout this these first 
10 games, but, uh, but that's probably more an indication of the lack of consistency of the team overall than it is any mm. comment one way or another on his play. Uh, Rick Ball is the voice of the Flames on Sportsnet, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, how much do you and Kelly or you and Greg uh, watch the game and bang your heads against the broadcast? I don't even know if it's a wall, uh, Rick, sometimes when you're watching Huberto out there because Manny's been frustrating even this season. And I know he's trying, and I know they're trying to do things as an organization to get him going, but just watching him on the ice going, like, what happened to you? Where's this guy? We see flashes of it, Rick, but he still looks like nothing the guy that they thought they were getting when they made that deal with the Panthers. Uh, I get the impression that as hard as fans and you know broadcasters might be banging their heads against the wall, he might be banging his head even harder, right? Sure. I don't think he's sure what the hell's going on at this point. Uh, I had an interesting conversation with Del Rey, who's on the Dallas Stars broadcast uh, the other night, and he was asking me the same question. He was like, and this is what he said to me. He goes, you know, I've done so many games where the Florida Panthers are playing the Dallas Stars, where all we do when we break down highlights between periods or after the game and we show, you know, Florida highlights is talk about how great Jonathan Huberto was. And one world-class play after another, game after game. Now it happens that his his offensive output against Dallas in his career has been outstanding. But it, did it just disappear? I, I find that hard to believe. So whatever's going on uh, with him, uh, I, I, is it between the ears at this point? You know, sometimes you get into this sort of negative mindset and it's, it takes hard work to get out of it. I, I, I really have a hard time believing that it just fell off a cliff like that. So, um, you know, at this point, the Flames – have him for a long time and uh he's got to find his way out of it and they got to find a way to help him get there but you're right it's been extremely frustrating i for the player for the team and for the fans and it is definitely a head scratcher and if i had any answers uh yeah i'd be making a lot more money than i am but i i just i, I can't figure out either i just i've saw him play enough in florida as well and i i know this guy has as much skill in terms of being a playmaker as anybody else in the national hockey league, but we just haven't seen it often enough yet in Calgary. And that's a very fair comment. Uh, at what point do we have to say he'll just never be that guy again? And I don't want to be too negative on a Friday ahead of the weekend, ahead of a good performance against the stars against but Seattle. Are. But at what point, Rick, do we go, maybe that guy's just never coming back again. He is 30 years old and that happens where guys, you know, all of a sudden they're just never that dynamic offensively. And that just, you know, again, father time undefeated, yada, yada, yada. But at what point do yeah. we say he's just never going to be that guy again? Because I think a, a fair assumption, I think we even asked you this before the season, a, a, a fair, reasonable expectation for him was north of 80 points. Man, yeah, Rick, I, I don't think he's going to get close to 80 points this season. I said if I was a Vegas odds maker, I said 90 points is the over-under. That yeah. was my because that's, you know, like the 115 was an outlier uh, the year before he came to Calgary. But if you look at his career numbers, and the last four years prior to joining the Flames, his average was 1.21 points a game, right, in the last four years. That includes the 115. So that's, that's 99 points um, just extrapolated out over those four seasons. And if, you know, take out the, the 55 he had last year, and I think 90 points was reasonable uh, as a prediction based on what this guy's capable of doing. And it just, for whatever reason, hasn't happened yet. Um, but at what point do you say it's never going to happen way too early? Like it's not the guy's 37 years old, right? Like, right. um, uh, now it, it, you know, it's been a year and 10 games of, of underperforming based on expectations, but, uh, I'm not ready to, to, to make that statement yet. I would give it at least a lot more time before, uh, before start to think, starting to think that it's just not there anymore. Cause I think it is quite frankly, I, I just, I have a hard time believing that it's fallen off a cliff. 
And I think this guy is going to find his game at some point, but um, you know, he's got to show it. And, and, and the flames need him to show it too, right? Cause they've got an eight year deal that just kicked in this season. So mm. uh, there's a long commitment there. And I know they're committed to, to trying to get the best out of number 10, because for this team to have any success, they have to, right. Um, because, you know, he's like, he's a flame for the next eight years. So um, let's, do whatever we can to get this guy back to the form that we saw when he was playing for the Panthers. Last year, whenever Chris Tanev went out with injury, it felt like the team took a couple of games to get themselves right. I felt like we saw something similar with Rasmus Anderson while he was gone for four games. And not necessarily when he was gone, but you just noticed his impact in his return to the ice. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. He's, you know, arguably their best defenseman. Um, so you take that guy out of the line of four games, you're going to miss him. I mean, a top pairing guy is going to impact the way your team's playing and I think you know that was a big part of the reason why they looked particularly bad at a couple of those games during that stretch was not having him in the lineup but he also brings a lot of energy he's got a bit of a swagger to him and an attitude that I think um, helps a team so I'm not surprised at all they played much better last game once he returned not 100% his doing but certainly a big boost to the lineup and um, yeah I mean you know I know that he probably that that suspension he didn't like it, uh, but it was a high hit, and uh, he paid the price, and the Flames did as well not having him in. So, you know, the other thing I thought, guys, that was interesting, Kelly and I talked about it during that game because they did play really well for at least 50 of the 60 minutes. They had that sag in the second, and it wound up costing them. But overall, on the, on the night, they were the better team against, as we mentioned, one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. So um, they've got a lot to build off of. But sometimes when you're in a losing skid, you have to play a couple of really good games and don't not get the results before you snap out of it. Mm. Works the other way too. This is a, you know, this isn't an original thought. I've talked about this before and, and others have too. Sometimes when you're winning, you'll play a couple of stinkers and just out of habit and momentum keep winning before you really start to pay the price uh, with some bad habits. I think we're seeing some good habits come out of the flames. Certainly last game, hope they have to keep it going though. It can't just be a one-off, but if they play like that, um, consistently over the course of the next couple of weeks, you're going to pick up uh, quite a few wins because that was a, that was an effort that was good enough to get two points. And if they, if they, if they carbon copy that against Seattle tomorrow night, they'll come out of there with two points as well, because that's the way they have to play. We've seen it in stretches this year. I think the game in Washington, the outcome they get lost in that shootout. They, they played that, that, that I feel was their best game of the year against the Capitals. And they were unlucky not to get the two. Uh, and, the one uh, last game against Dallas is probably their second best effort. So you put that on the ice more nights than not, and uh, the record will definitely improve. But they got to do it, right? You can't just mm-hmm. talk about it. You can't. It can't be a one-off and then go back to some of the bad habits again that we saw uh, through the first ten games of the season against the Kraken. Because um, you know it's all going to be you know back to back to zero if you if you don't build on what you did against the Stars. How much more dangerous did the power play look with him helping out at the top of it with Anderson? Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, they scored. They scored a couple against uh, the the Oilers too, right? So, um, power plays and penalty kill are kind of funky sometimes. But uh, like you look at Dallas, their power play has been terrible this year. You think, well, it's not going to be all year, but in a ten game stretch, it has not been good with all that firepower they have, right? So, um, like most things in a short sample size, it's hard to draw any sort of conclusions. But yeah, Anderson definitely helps, right? So, um, you know, I was great to see Zary on that second unit too. So. Um, they're still trying to figure things out with the, with the power play. The PK has been really good all season, but uh, it's still a work in progress with the new power play coach um, and some new personnel. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Anderson helps on the man advantage when he's in the lineup for sure. Um, how huge was that Manjapani goal to kind of get him going, Rick? Yeah. Like, you know, I, he, 
his numbers fell off last year a lot. And then we found out after he'd been battling a shoulder injury that needed surgery in the off season for much of the year told us, uh, I was talking to him, I don't know, on the road when we were out East and he said that he didn't think he was going to have to have surgery. And then they, at the end of the season, they said, well, let's just take a closer look. And they went in for an MRI and they're like, yeah, you have to have surgery. So it was even worse than he thought. Um, but it nagged him a bulk of last season and was a big explanation, I think, for his numbers to dip the way they did. But they need him to score, right? This is a team that's had some trouble putting pucks in the net, and he's a guy, if he gets back to the form he had two years ago, uh, that could be a big part of a solution offensively. So for him personally, I think it was big, but for the team as well, um, to get a goal. Rick Ball is the voice of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, uh, the fan. Um, what have you made of the Oilers' start in Edmonton, uh, Rick? Because obviously uh, the cup or bust thing is being thrown around a ton on social media because we know their big players said that. But, you know, they're not that much better than the Calgary Flames so far. Hockey in Alberta has been a slog so far uh, this NHL season. But what have you made of their start up north? Yeah, it's a head-scratcher as well, right? I mean, the Flames have have some issues in terms of offense. You think that, well, that's not the Oilers' problem. It shouldn't be anyway. Um, but, yeah, their issues more at the other end of the rink. Goaltending is the biggest question mark with that team. Um, but, yeah, I think most people are surprised that they've struggled as much as they have. I think a lot of people are surprised the Flames have struggled as much as they have, right? So you're right. It's been an interesting start to the year in Alberta. One of the issues, though, we're 10 games in. I guess with Edmonton, it's nine, but you know, that's all you have to go off at this point. So it's a very small uh, chunk of the season. It just happens to be the only games they've played so far, whether you're the Oilers or the Flames. So that's all you can judge. And it hasn't been good enough for either team so far, right? So, um, you know, if you go through a stretch where you're whatever, you know, two, seven, and one, a 10-game stretch in the middle of the year, um, you know, the team's in a bit of a slump. But if you've, you know, if you've gone 20 12 and four or 20, 12 and two before that, it's not as big a deal as it is when it's off the top, right? Cause that's the only uh, sample size that you have to look at. So uh, with both these teams, you know, they've got to get it turned around, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a head scratcher up there for sure. And you wonder what's going to happen with the orders only because the expectations for them mm-hmm. in Edmonton were so high. Uh, and so many of the pundits have predicted them that, you know, and they've, you know, they've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Like, you know, you got to make hey, Well, those guys are in their prime. And uh, and to see the start that they've had is, I'm sure, frustrating for Edmonton as much as it is in Calgary to see the way the Flames are playing right now. But uh, but with the weight of expectations on that team, there's an extra component that uh, that I'm sure has people. Like we talked about guys banging heads against walls. I can't imagine that uh, <laughs> Ken Olland and, you know, and Woodcrop and the fans and organi- people in the organization aren't doing the same thing up there at Edmonton. It's been a weird year to start for both these teams. Uh, on that on that uh, note, being weird, uh, Rick, who had the Canucks probably being the best team in Canada through almost a month <laughs> of the season? Well, I think many people thought they'd be better, but uh, again, at this point in the year, what does it mean exactly after 10 games? Uh, not that much, but, uh, you know, good for them. Like, they, you know, they've been a team that's been spinning its wheels for a long time ever since their you know their best years when they were won back-to-back president's trophies and went to the stanley cup final it's kind of been a downhill slide right um you know they put up <laughs> they scored a bunch of goals last night against a not very good team but um yeah you know like it's listen that's what happens right you're not going to be terrible forever uh, although the buffalo sabers i think try to disprove that point <laughs> missing the playoffs 12 years in a row but um but you know it's it ebbs hockey or, or sports in general. You're going to, 
the, the life cycle of an organization, if you're not completely incompetent, is going, going to ebb and flow. And, uh, you know, it looks like they're on, on the upswing. Now, we thought that before, too, right? When Bruce Boudreaux came in, they got on a roll. He was the greatest thing. And then the next year started and he was terrible and they had to fire him. So let's not get too excited over, a you know, over a whatever, 10 games uh, or too upset. Uh, over 10 games one way or the other, depending on how the outcomes have gone so far. But um, yeah, I don't think anybody thought they'd be the best team in Canada at this point. I didn't, I thought they'd be better though. Mm. So I'm not totally shocked. Rick, I know you do have an appreciation for our Canadian football game as well. We get the stamps and lions in the playoffs on Saturday. What's your uh, level of awareness of this game level of excitement for this game? Yeah, I'll be watching. I, I love the CFL. I still have a soft spot, my heart for Canadian football. I, I have this conversation a lot with people who like to dump on the league. I'm like, it's the second best league in the world. You know, you know, it's not the NFL. Nobody says it is, but uh, there are great athletes playing in the Canadian football league. I, I think the casual fan and even some people who pay attention to football do not understand how good the athletes are in the Canadian football league. And the guy who covered that sport for 10 years doing play by play, I got a real appreciation. These guys can play and the, you know, obviously the superstars, the biggest names are playing in the National Football League because the money's there. But um, but the, the, there's a lot of guys who can really, uh, really ball playing in the CFL. And uh, and the, the, the examples I always point to are NFL guys who've come to the Canadian Football League who are blown away after a career in the National Football League. How good the talent is up here. Chad Johnson made some comments about it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Chris Carter said, you know, and, and I think he was stunned. He was on an ESPN show or a Fox show when his son was still playing in Canada. And it's when Johnny Manziel came to Canada. And Chris Carter, who's a Hall of Famer, the National Football League, um, was saying he thinks the CFL is perfect for Manziel because he'll get the next best level of competition and try to get his game back on track. It never happened, but he was commenting, you know, Carter was commenting more about the level of play in the CFL. And one of the hosts goes, you mean the CFL is better than the teams playing in the SEC, which is the highest level of college football? He goes, yeah. He goes, every team in the CFL would beat Alabama. Like, it wouldn't be close. And the guy's like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, it's, pro- it's men against boys. Almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not almost, that's not even an exaggeration. He goes, so when guys at that level are making those points, who played the game at the highest level in the NFL and have an appreciation for the CFL, that's what I point to to the casual fan. I go, you bash this league as being beer league football. You're, you couldn't be more wrong. Yeah. Um, and and, my, and the, get, talking about the SEC, I always go, people like people watch the CFL, like, oh, it ain't the NFL, but nobody watches college football and, 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 and sits there and, and watches a game and goes, well, this isn't the NFL. They're just, they, they appreciate it for what it is. And, I wish more Canadians felt that way about Canadian football, but that's a long-winded way of saying I'll be watching the games in the weekend. Uh, but I have have I paid close enough attention to give you a detailed breakdown on tactics and who's mm. got the edge and on the offensive line? <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, but uh, I definitely enjoy watching the CFL, and like I said, I'll be paying attention this weekend for sure. Uh, really weird, uh, Rick, that uh, Johnny Manziel didn't work out in Montreal, not reading the playbook and then disappearing for days at a time. Probably that didn't was equal the craziest. A- yeah. thing about that whole documentary is that when he went to Cleveland after, you know, his college career, he didn't know the playbook. <laughs> how I yeah. ne- a quarterback in the national football league doesn't read the, how do you play? Like, yeah. Or hey, Poorly. You know, the, the offensive <laughs> coordinator come, goes in, goes on your headset and says, we're running a 22 power, uh, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, and then you don't, how do you even know what he's asking for? <laughs> you yeah. don't know what the playbook is. Yeah. 
Uh, a lot of Jamarcus Russell just vibes get, with the Raiders from back in the day, too, Rick. Just get to the NFL and wing it. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. No problem. Not. I'm better yeah, than not. all these guys. No problem. Yep, worked yeah, out well. well yeah. Yeah, I wonder why it didn't work. Yeah. That's a head scratcher. Hey, he opened a new bar recently. Here, There you go. Yeah, right on. Now, does is, is he own it, or do you mean he's just been there so much that it's opened? <laughs> Apparently his dad did it. His dad opened the bar for him. That's, that seems like a bad play for a guy who's had his troubles. Yeah, you know? not you, ideal. You, yeah. you want to know the name of the bar? Johnny Manziel's Money Bar. Money Bar. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a guy morbidly obese opening a bakery, you know? <laughs> Bad idea. Bad idea. Um, Bad idea. Well, you know, it was a great idea having you on the show today, Rick. <laughs> Thanks, guys. My You're pleasure. welcome. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Rick. Take care. See Bye. You, there he is, uh, the voice of the Flames on Sportsnet, nice. Rick Ball. Yeah, like, that was a switch on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Boom! Russick going in hot for the weekend after that one. Okay. Like Batista, the wrestler, yeah, after yeah, that yeah. move, just yeah. shooting the That's, guns after that one. He's <laughs> a movie star now. Yeah, he is. Full respect on that name. Yeah, I only watch movies starring Edge, Money Plane. God, that was horrible. Anyway. From right. this day! Yeah. Um, Sam Cosentino, you going to talk draft stuff? Because it always it always puts a little lead in your pencil. Probably. Okay. I, I can definitely always ask Sammy about the draft. Okay, let's do that. We'll ask him about the Calgary little, Flames. Little Iserman. And, and. Little Macklin Celebrini. And sprinkling in a little sweetener in a fantasy football trade. Okay. Sprinkling it in. A little sweetener. That's. <laughs> Sportsnet 960, the fan. The big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We'll wrap up the week with the plays of the week. And we'll also tell you about a fantasy football sweetener trade. A sweetener. You, you got to stop calling it a sweetener. It, it is. It's a, like a, well, what is it then? I feel like it's like way more than a sweetener. Oh, okay. I feel like that's that's kind of the core piece of the deal, if I'm being honest. Okay. Well, we'll do that to wrap up the week. But right now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, NHL and draft analyst for Sportsnet, we say good morning to Sam Cosentino. Sammy Cos, how are you? Good morning, gents. Nice to be on. I wish we were going to be talking about happier things, but I think it's coming. Yeah. You like you think winning is coming for the Calgary Flames and their fan base? Well, I'm not necessarily saying winning, but I was really, <laughs> okay. really yeah. impressed oh. by by the third period. The third period of the game the other night should be the blueprint for how Calgary has to play moving forward. Uh, actually, I thought they were pretty good in the first two, um, but so so winning, like like the process has to come first before any any sort of winning has to happen. Um, and I like the process in the third period. And for the most part, the first period as well. You know, and I think, you know, Ryan Oscar felt the same way. Uh, I know it's one game, but did Connor Zary's performance surprise you maybe a little bit? A little bit. But, you know, like one thing about a, a good coach is he goes to the guys who are going. He doesn't look at age, experience, where they were drafted, how many points they have. The guy's going, he's going. And that's why he was out there in crucial situations late in the game. That's why he was out there in the second power play unit that started to supersede the first power play unit. He was going that night. Um, he has it in him. There is no question about it. It would be great if this, if that sort of play was sustainable. Um, but it's tough. Like, you get up, you have a good first game. 
Then you wake up the next day and then you're in the grind of, hey, what morning skates are, the travel, that sort of thing. So I, I wish the best for the young man. I, I flipped him a, a quick uh, quick DM the other day, and uh, he's that kind of guy who, who responded when probably thousands of people have, have done the same. So really impressed going back to our days, uh, meeting with him at the NHL Combine, getting him to watch, play, uh, watch him play in Kamloops. And I'm, I'm really, really happy. And I think his – to be honest with you, like I think his play made Kadri better. I think that's one of the best games I've seen Kadri play this year. Hmm. And and I you know I I don't know if that youthful exuberance or the passion or that energy um, rubbed off, but I thought Naz was great the other night, and I thought that you know Connor had a big part in that. It's been interesting to watch the young players on this team this year. Matt Coronado made his debut, looked good, and it's kind of been up and down a little bit since then. Um, what have you made of the young man's First foray into the NHL. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, the one thing that, that jumps is his shot. Um, I, I don't think he's quite comfortable playing the same way he did um, in the NCAA. And I think that when that comes, when he's really consistently dog on a bone type attitude in first on pucks, you've seen flashes of it. He has the ability to do that on a consistent basis. And when he finds that consistency in his game where he's best, then you're going to start to see some some big strides. But nothing to detract. Like, he belongs. There's no question he belongs. But I think as time goes, you'll see him start to have a, have a bigger impact. So, again, you know, you think about a guy who signs uh, out of college, then the next thing you know, you're, you're into Daryl Sutter's wheelhouse. Then the next thing you know, you're into coaching change. And next thing you know, you're, you're being relied on to be a you know, top six, if not a top nine guy, a power play guy. That's a lot to place on a young man, um, and it's a lot for for someone who's just trying to find their stride in the NHL to have placed upon them, upon them so early in their career. But he doesn't look out of place. I'll say that he was the thirteenth forward at practice yesterday. You've covered a lot of the younger players and watched them intently. I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on you know getting to this point of the season and having a player, especially jumping from NCAA to the NHL with a no stop in the AHL along the way a thought on sitting him down for a game or two at this point of the year. I don't think it, I don't think it can hurt. I don't think it can hurt. There's a lot of learning that can be done by going up top. And if you're intent on getting back in the lineup, you're going to do two things. You're going to uh, increase your work rate. And the second thing is when you get up top, you're going to look down and you're going to see. Sometimes you see how simple the game can be. If you play a simple game. And I think th- those messages, when you're in the mix and you're on the bench and stuff's going haywire, it's it's hard to see through those trees. Sometimes getting that view from up top, you're like, oh, I get it. Like, why didn't this guy make that play? That play was available. You can you see things different. Like, and I say that because as an analyst, you know, I worked in a lot of junior rinks where you're really close to the ice. I always had a great appreciation when we went to barns where you were near the top of the barn and you're kind of hanging out over the ice. So Sudbury would be like that uh, as a great example. Ooh, that's a gritty you, barn, Sammy. That's, that's a, gritty a gritty barn. barn. But yep. you can see things, George, yep. up up there from that vantage point that you can't see when you're down mm-hmm. closer to ice level or in, in Matthew's case, when you're sitting on the bench and you're in the heat of a game. So, yeah, I, I'd have no problem with it. Listen, the, the one thing about Ryan Haska being, being named coach was his ability to handle young players. And it's not going to be like, hey, you're punished, go sit up top. It's going to be, hey, here's what we think of your game. Here's what we need you to do. Go have a look up top. 
get back to practice, get back to work. We haven't lost faith in you, but you need to be better. And and, and that's fine. That's that's mm-hmm. the process and the development curve of a young guy. I, I have no problem with that. Matthew shouldn't have a problem with it, and Ryan shouldn't have any problem doing it if it gets to that. So when we talk about Coronado, who's a shooter, and Zeri, you can do a little bit of everything. Pelche, you can do a little bit of everything. We don't know what Hanzik's going to be, but I, I'm going to throw him in there as well. There maybe isn't a superstar, but as far as some building blocks on the forward group, what do you think of the young players the Flames have kind of accumulated up to this point? Yeah, well, that, and that's the thing. Like the, the ball has to keep rolling, right? And it, it, it has to keep rolling. It has no other choice. So, you know, is it going to be Poirier, who's a guy who gives you that dynamic, um, you know, play from the D? You know, is it Dustin Wolf at some point who's really going to get his, his full-time opportunity? I loved Hanzig last year. Uh, I, I know the Flames are really hot on him. I think his two-way game, his adjustment to coming over from, from overseas, uh, his willingness to put the work in in the offseason by staying in, in Vancouver, which is where he played, like those are all really, really in, important elements to the developmental process. I feel bad for Peltz because I love his energy. I think he was set to really take flight here under, under Ryan Huska. So I'm really disappointed that we're not getting the opportunity to see him in an environment where I think he can thrive and uh, hopefully you know the the healing process is sped up as quick as possible and he gets back out there but there's some pretty good pieces there you know the one thing you'd have to say is from that perspective probably you know a little bit on the smaller side and I think we're starting to see a shift back to what size means in the game and how important it is um, and that's something that I think you know, again, a copycat league, you'll, you'll probably start to see that uh, come back into the draft picture here. But in terms of those forward guys up front, you think of Coronado, Pelche, even Zeri's not the biggest guy, um, but size, you know, is, is starting to become a factor. Hanzig's bigger. You know, we've seen Rizicu, and he's been in the lineup. He, he provides a little bit of that size. Um, but, yeah, some, some good pieces here to move forward with. NHL and draft analyst for Sportsnet, Sam Cosentino, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russell and Rose, 960 The Fan. Uh, brought up this point, want to get your thoughts on it, uh, Sammy. Um, to me, the blueprint for the Calgary Flames, uh, without this complete rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, is the Dallas Stars. And I know the Stars had a once-in-a-lifetime draft with Robertson, Haskin, and Ottinger. I understand all of that. But they're a team that has a lot of veteran players on it and sprinkled in with young guys who they're developing who are now the key to their team. Kadri, Huberto, Backlund, these guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon. The Flames need guys like we mentioned, Coronado, Zeri, Poirier maybe down the road, Hanzek down the road, to be the best players on this team. And those veteran guys are in more of a support role instead of being the primary players on the Calgary Flames. Do you see any parallels between the Flames eventually to kind of be like, we can kind of be like the Dallas Stars maybe down the road here? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I was in Pittsburgh last week doing the Ottawa-Pittsburgh game, and you can really, you know, they're the oldest team in the league, and you can see that age, and you can see the drop-off after the, you know, after the top three guys. I mean, Gensel, he's a really good and underrated player, but, like, there is quite a gap between what you'd have in your top six and and your top 3D to the rest of the group. I think Washington has experienced the same sort of thing, so you have to give Jim Nill a, a ton of credit. And it's not by accident that these guys were drafted, that they had that kind of draft. I mean, Joe McDonnell, 
Their head scout has been doing it for 100 years. He and Jim Nill have had a relationship going back to their days in Detroit together where they put together some really good teams with a lot of good draft picks. So I, I don't think it's, it's accidental um, with their group. But again, you know, your older players, like your Joe Pavelski's, when they're your hardest workers and they're still successful, productive guys, you kind of drag them into the fight. Jamie Ben's just a grumpy old man. But if anything happens out there, he's going to take care of it. No, I, I love him, and I say that with all due respect. Yeah, of course. You know, again, he's a guy I watch come up through through Kelowna and whatever else. He's just grown, grown grumpier every year, and that grumpiness is is a big piece for for Dallas. And then you got Sagan; he still has enough skill to be an impact guy. And then when you talk about like Rupa Hansen, he's a budding star. This guy, he, he's unbelievable. The play he makes between Uyghur's legs, you know, on the on the goal the other night is just is just crazy. But the implementation of those young guys into your lineup, the Harleys, the Haskinens, it's super important. But you have to surround your that group with really good culture, with really good leaders. Ben, type A personality. Pavelski, type A personality. So a guy like Matt Deshane comes in there who's used to being that guy. All of a sudden, it's, it's explained to him, you're going to play into more of a support role. You're not going to have to accept the tough matchups like you have most places you've been in your career. You're going to go out. You're going to do your thing. You're going to win draws. You're going to use your skill. And you're going to help us in a support role, not a lead role. When I look at the Cadres and the Hubertos of the world, I feel very much the same about those guys. When Cadre was at his best, was in Colorado, more in a support role. You had McKinnon, you had Rent, and you had McCarr that you had to pay attention to. You didn't have to. Uh, you weren't as focused on what Cadre was able to do. He had a ton of success. When you look at Huberto, where he had his most, most success was, okay, Barkov's there. The one year that Verhage had 42. They're paying attention to him. They're paying attention to Ekblad, maybe um, others on, the, on, on that group, as opposed to Huberto being the lead guy. You know, a lot of times it was Barkov lugging the puck up the middle of the ice, and then Huberto gets inside the line where he can pick, you know, pick defenses apart and at his best. But in terms of a carrier and driver of play, I don't think Jonathan has ever been that in his career. He's being asked to be put in that role partially by the fans because of his salary, partially because his skill set lends itself to being one of the most skilled guys, if not the most skilled guy that Calgary has. He's a little bit miscast in that role, I believe, and I do believe he needs different support and a driver to play with, and I don't think Calgary's found that answer yet. When I look at this draft, um, I'm wondering who you see as maybe superstar players at the very top of the upcoming draft because that's something we've been talking about with this Flames team. And, and you know, you see it in the past few years. I think Logan Cooley is a guy who could get into that realm, obviously Connor Bedard. But when you look at this draft, how many guys do you see that could maybe turn into a player that is, you know, one of the top 30 in the league? Celebrini is, he's that guy. There is no question about it. But San Jose, I think, pretty much has dibs on, on him right now. What a mess. <laughs> Cole Eiserman, what's he got? Four hat-tricks already this year. He's almost at two goals per game. Like, he's doing stuff at the U.S. program that they're, you know, they need to start copying his name into the media guide now for breaking records over there. Um, he's doing that sort of stuff. There's a little bit less certainty about the rest of the group. You have some, you know, you have a, a – the Belarusian players, you've got Russian players in there you can't keep your eye on as close and you just don't know how they match up against what North America has to offer. Um, so there's a little bit of risk in that group. There's a lot of really good defensemen 
that I think can, can have an impact. But I think those two guys at the top can have significant impacts for their groups. And in different ways, like Celebrini's a center. He's a distributor, but also a threat to score. He works hard for, for his offense. He works hard to get it back. Iserman's that winger, sniper type of guy. So give him an opportunity down the wing. He can give you a little bit of that, you know, that William Nylander type of element to, to his game. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch those two. But in terms of top 30 guys three years down the road, I think those two names are going to be in the conversation. Um, and it's not likely that Calgary is going to have an opportunity to get one of those two guys. Um, three years down the road, what is Uri Slavkovsky going to look like? Give me a comparable, Sammy. Oh, man. Um, so Marty Nietzsche is a guy that comes to mind. Okay. You know, he, his developmental path has taken a little while. He's got good size. He's a good scorer. He's, you know, a guy who took a long time to adapt and develop, had a good supporting cast around him. Um, I think I think that's the type of guy that you're looking at. He was also a first-rounder, Marty. Uh, but I think, you know, your eye's going to be able to score. The thing about when I, when I watch him play now, like his awareness in terms of putting himself in the bad spots to take hits, to make plays, that sort of thing, it's not, it's not up to NHL par yet. He had his way as a bigger guy in a league that was less physical. So it takes time to make that adjustment. And, of course, there was a lot heaped on him last year, you know, with the injury and things. But I think he's got a really good mentor there in Sean Monaghan. I was in Montreal before the season started. The two were out for dinner together. You know, Sean has gone through a lot of adversity, as, as your fans would, would know and understand. So I think that's a pretty good role model for, for someone like you or I, um, you know, to kind of pay attention to. But Marty Nietzsche would be a guy that I, mm. I'm thinking about. Uh, redraft, Cooley goes number one, right? Talk to, talk to my colleague, Jason Bukula, who's... Well, he should be scouting in the National Hockey League, but I think his quality of life is too good now that he's out of that racket. <laughs> he was all over Cooley in that draft. I mean, all over him. He picked him to go number one. He mocked him number one. He had him number one in his rankings all year long. He's a super dynamic player, and he's got a little bit more bite and competitiveness than the uh, you know all-American boyish smile would indicate. Um, what's going on with the Hughes here? Like, uh, is this like... <laughs> Like we we were laughing about it, and we asked, "Is there a Cooper Hughes? Maybe a brother that isn't a great hockey player?" No, there's only three of them, and they're all superstar. Probably going to be all superstar players. Um, the youngest guy, Luke, is on his way. Like Sammy, just like is this could this potentially be the best you know brother trio maybe we've ever seen in the league when it's all said and done? Like I like I know I respect the Sutters, and it's incredible what they did, yeah. and the odds of that are like you know space junk hitting you while you're going to cash your lottery ticket. But but the, these three brothers, it's absurd what these kids are doing. Yep, and it's been instilled from from when they were young, always around it. Their mom Ellen was a great hockey player. Their dad was a college hockey player, and has been around it. He they forced competition upon their kids from an early age. And when I'm looking at the three of them right now, I think all three of them think it's summer that they're going to walk into, into the garage and play ping pong and try and kick the crap out of each other. They're going to go out in the golf course and try and win money from one another, that mm-hmm. they're competing in every facet at all times. That's just part of their DNA. So I give Ellen and Jim a ton of credit, um, but the boys love it too. Like make no mistake about it. Jack, he just, he loves it. He, he loves the spotlight. He's got great charisma about him, 
Quinn's a little bit more dialed back, you know, with his 100 points he had last night in the game in the big win over San Jose. And Luke is not there yet, but he's not far off. And he uh, has an opportunity to be insulated on that New Jersey defense. You got old guys like Marino around. You got guys like Siegenthaler, Hamilton, that can kind of allow him to play somewhat in the background and allow Lindy Ruff to give him some good, good matchups there. So he's not far behind, but the other two, they're superstars, both of them right now. I, I predicted at the start of the year that Jack Hughes would have 120 points. I might be low. Mm. Uh, real quick, you think the Devils regret the Timo Meyer deal? Ooh. A lot of dough for a guy who's been, who's always been a good player. Um, in Timo, to me, he's just never been on that on that elite superstar level. Do they regret it? I don't think so. He'll he'll find his way here at some point. Um, but he he was a good player on a bad team for a long time too, and and you know all the opportunity was afforded to him. So mm-hmm. for Timo, it's about making an adjustment on what is now a really good team and and finding his way through that where he's not the key guy. Uh, Sam Cosentino, NHL and draft analyst for Sportsnet. Sammy Cos, always terrific stuff. Uh, thanks for this, pal. George, great setup, eh? You get off the air and you can get, start betting the breeders. I love it. Oh, yeah. Again, do you like that, the fact that it's a two-day thing? Because I kind of miss the old school all in one day. Yeah, I, I don't mind the two days. No, I, I'm okay. okay with it. More, more betting yeah. opportunities. Yeah, it's two days. Yeah, my producer's like, it's two days. It's been like that for a while, Patrick. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't mind the yeah, ponies. Days, My yeah. dad used to take me to old 40 re racetrack when I was a kid, Sammy Cos. I went to Woodbine all the time. That's nice. where I grew up, buddy. So That's real- where I got into broadcasting. Daryl Wells, the old track. Oh, yes. Was, was the guy who inspired me into broadcasting. That's no lie. And Daryl Wells went to Fort Erie. And he did yeah. uh, the there. And one of my like cherished childhood memories, uh, Sammy Cos, go to the track with my dad, and we listened to uh, Jerry Howarth and Tom Cheek call the Blue Jays games on the way home. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Everyone loves a Jerry uh, Howarth. Everyone has a Jerry Howarth voice. And there she George. goes. <laughs> Brotherhood degenerates. I love it. I love it. Uh, thanks, Sammy Cos. Okay, guys, take care. There he goes. And there she goes. Everyone's has a Jerry Howard's voice. The afterglow. And the afterglow of a Blue Jays win. What a beauty. Uh, definitely. Uh, one of the greats, uh, Jerry Howard, one of the greatest broadcasters uh, this country's ever seen. I wonder if he ever gets into the Hall of Fame. Like one say. of the things, I don't know. I, I don't know how many broadcasters are in their Hall of Fame. Well, you got the, well... Cheek got the Frick Award. Yep. Um, Posthumously. Yeah. Which was super nice. I mean, yeah, I don't really. I, I don't know. I, he's, he's, he's like, he's close. Could be one of those things that might take a few years for him to get it's the like, Frick Award. Like, it's like Cito Gaston being on the, the Veterans Committee. Yes. You, you got to get him in. Right. Two ti- like two World Series titles. Yeah. Come and then, on. yeah. Back to back. Cito. Um, plays of the week coming up uh, next. Um, but first, I've been I've been teasing this um, this story all day. Um, there's a lot of people who use the internet for um, good and maybe malicious purposes. But uh, people need help with their fantasy football teams, right? And we know some of these leagues people take it very seriously. Fantasy football is a big business. People take it very seriously. 
maybe their moods for the week are determined whether or not their team wins over the weekend. Some of these leagues are worth a lot of money. They are. So um, there is a uh, there's a fantasy football advice website that a lot of guys go to. A lot of men, women, about. Uh, you I know, think just, this post was on Reddit. That's Reddit. It's yeah. a, the fantasy football Reddit. That okay. It's from. But a lot of people need help with their fantasy football team. And they, they go to the internet to, to, to get the help of strangers. There was a post that caught a lot of people's attention uh, this past week that, uh, quote, a guy in my league is three and five and so desperate to turn his season around, he needs more consistency at running back. Who doesn't need more consistency at running back? It's a really it's a, it's a scarce position. Undersaturated spot. Yeah. Uh, he sent me a text saying he wants uh, Christian McCaffrey. Great. Number one running back in fantasy. Guy scores a touchdown every game. CMC is an absolute monster. It's hard to get, though. Yeah. Uh, going to cost hard. a lot to pry him from some team. So this gentleman who got the text about potentially trading CMC is 7-1 on the seat. 7-1. and one. He doesn't want to trade CMC. I'm 7-1, mm. and one, top of the league. I got the best running back in fantasy football. What could you possibly send me that I'd want to send and trade Christian McCaffrey? Especially because you, you got three wins. Your team's not very good, bro. No. Well, the guy who's 3-5 and five is so desperate to acquire Christian McCaffrey from the 7-1 and one guy in this league that he's offered up his wife as the sweetener, who apparently is very well endowed. And is somebody who Christian, uh, the McCaffrey owner, has had a shining to for a while. Mm. And now he's contemplating cashing in this this deal that I'll trade you Christian McCaffrey. You have to include your wife in this deal. And Tony Pollard. It's Tony, and Tony it's, Pollard. It's Tony Pollard. And, and Getting to have uh, relations with his wife. Now, I don't even want to focus on the two guys who are trying to make this deal happen. I want to focus on the other guys in the league for a second. No way can you make this trade. No, it's vetoed. Vetoed right away. I don't care if your wife's involved. I'd be like, I don't care. You can't make this deal. What if they have no idea? What if he posts it anonymously on the website and they just do Tony Pollard for CMC? Okay. Maybe throws in a couple of other things so that people look at it and go, I guess it makes sense. If it's a straight one for one, I'm yelling collusion yeah. right away. Oh, yeah. 100%. There's coll- That is dripping in collusion <laughs> and other things. Just totally dripping in collusion. I've always liked the I idea. would just like to see the reaction of the other guys in the league. <laughs> Maybe they know this woman. They're like, well, you should probably do that. They're like, I can do better than CMC. Yeah. But that's what I thought. When I thought of this story right away, I thought I of the other you? guys in the league. Not the two guys who want to consummate, which I think is a very interesting word in this case. The deal, I think of the other guys in the league going, no, you can't do that, bro. Tony Pollard, although Tony Pollard's a very good top 10 fantasy running back, you can't do Tony Pollard what for if CMC one-on-one. What one if it on is one. well within their rules? What if they have one of those leagues Collusion! where you can trade things of off the, out of the league? Okay. That feels like maximum chaos. And yeah. I would never, but right. you never know. Maybe. It feels like a tall task, something large to give up. Okay. What if that evening is completely underwhelming and then you yearn for the days of when you owned Christian McCaffrey? I think in this position, there are so many negative scenarios that could play out yeah. after this. I think you keep CMC. I think you take the money from winning the league, and I think you move on with your You're life. Right. Yep. I think that if you actually let this happen and made it go through, 
I just feel like there's bad injury juju around your team. It's bad karma. Like yeah. Tony Pollard is gonna he's gonna get hurt. I feel for like you. you lose fantasy football karma when you like you know break up a marriage. Yeah. Or maybe they're or maybe very, not. Maybe they're into that type of thing. Maybe they are into that type of thing. By all means, have at her. But yeah, I just think of the other guys in the league because I'd be like, no, no bueno on this. <laughs> Let's keep this thing on the up and up. Uh, that's it for us. It's been a fun week. We had Joey Chestnut in studio yesterday. Yep. I plowed through after drinking with the greatest all night last night. Great job. Um, what do you got coming up in Mucho? Uh, we got Jeff Baker. Seattle Kraken. Jeff Baker, touchdown maker? Maybe. Uh, Kraken writer for the Seattle Times. Don't look at me like that. I was stifling a yawn. Oh, okay. That's all it was. Um, plays of the week. Let's do that. Bye. Now, yeah, have a terrific weekend. Hey, Stamps, play tomorrow. Good luck to them. 4.30. Go Dave Dickinson and the Dip Stamps. will be out soon. All right. Um, have a terrific weekend. We'll see you Monday. Bye. Bye. This is the best of the worst of The Big Show with Russick and Rose. No honorable mention for Smarties? Just the shake. It's <laughs> that little tiny You're right. shake. You're right. Come on. I don't have the patience to leave the red ones last. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Come on, Nas. Awesome Cadbury. Yes. The puck pass, Stuart Skinner. No. Yes. Oh, I hate sure. glass bangers, <laughs> but I hate to lose. I hate to lose so much. And you're talking to a fun guy. <laughs> Trick or treat. Hey, who wants a beer? Hey. You guys know I'm a complete and total idiot. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> hey, 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 who wants to play some dart? Is that about a chuck? Danny Valencia. Danny Valencia. It's Halloween. The lamp is lit. Around the fire, we children sit. A telling ghost tales bit by bit till someone says, shh. It's definitely a no for me, dog. The voice is just not. I might dress up as a child and go get me some candy. That's <laughs> weird. It's a goblin specimen. The goat, the greatest competitive eater of all time. Joining us in studio, Joey Jaws chestnut. Yeah, I dry load it. <laughs> yeah, no what's good. that noise? It's like a yeah. vegan detox where there's like nothing but like soups, and uh, every day we, we get in the steam room and you're gonna put stuff on the toxins. bottom of your feet to they, get they, out they the do, toxins. Oh my, the crazy enemas. What? Oh my god, I love it. Yeah, eating asparagus mm -hmm. and somehow it, it seeps into my bladder. Yes. It makes my urine smell differently. I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't either. I, I heard pineapple has some sort of thing. I don't know what that is, too. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Yeah, the first, like, four of them went down so fast. Uh, <laughs> it was like magic. It, uh, it, it opens up, uh, but, yep. but really, really, when I'm empty, I, 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 can, I can visualize, and I'm almost, it, it sounds weird, but I'm almost sucking. Like, I'm opening up my chest, and yep. it, 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 it's just, ooh. Inhale. Inhaling it. Uh, oh, wow. I inhaled it. There are times I have to swallow a bone, drink some water and swallow. Nope. <laughs> Great. Okay, what is it? <laughs> Frank Saravalli, private dick. Milk, milk, squirt, squirt. Oh, uh, well, I was just slamming some dollaritas up at the Applebee's. Patrick, your thoughts? Yeah, all right. Let's do it. <laughs> hey, old man, yeah. this is your third tour of duty. <laughs> Whoa, you all right? <laughs> you okay? Yeah, I just accidentally kicked my trash can. Oh, okay. <laughs> The Big Show with George Russick and Maddie Rose. Weekdays when you wake up.